You're about to hear my conversation with our co-CIOs, Leslie Marks and Steve Locke. We talk all about expectations for the balance of 2022, what's happened year to date, and spend a lot of time thinking about inflation, central bank actions, and equity markets. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKenzie Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to have two guests with me today. We have Leslie Marks, our CIO of Equities, and Steve Locke, the CIO of Fixed Income and Multi-Asset. Welcome, both of you. Thank you, Matt. Hi, Matt. Uh, I thought that we'd take the moment to really update the views that we put forward for our 2022 outlook, talk a a little bit about what has happened this year and also what to expect in the back half of this year. And maybe I'll start with you, Steve. I think that the markets have largely been driven by inflation and inflation expectations um, and subsequent central bank responding to to inflation. So I'd love to get your perspective on uh, both the inflation question, where we're headed, uh, and also general impact uh, that that has had on uh, on your expectations for the balance of the year. Yeah, exactly, Matt. We're, you know, we started the year with uh, rising inflation expectations, and they really did take off in 2022. So, you know, this has been, I think, the dominant force at work around capital markets this year. And you, you're right; the the follow through from that inflation was into central bank policy tightening, which has been on multiple fronts, and of course has been. Uh, pretty much global in nature, with the ex- with the loan exception or large exception of the, the Bank of Japan. Right. But we have uh, so we have a tighter policy around the world to combat inflation. Uh, this was uh, really something that started to be uh, distilled, going back into the wake of uh, the 2020 outbreak of the pandemic, with the response of policy, expanding monetary policy and fiscal policy significantly at that time, which really has led to some of the the, the reasons for inflation today. Others, of course, are perhaps uh, more recent, such as the war in Ukraine, sure. uh, the effect on commodity supplies, uh, in, in both uh, in, in, in agricultural supplies and in energy. Uh, these things are having a, a protracted impact in the in more recent period. Uh, all in all, uh, what this means is that uh, this tighter policy has been uh, moving extremely quickly through the markets. And this means that we've had uh, you know, a rapid tightening of financial conditions. Notwithstanding that, inflation is really still cresting uh, at, a, at, right. a, at quite a high level and the highest level we've seen in multiple decades. So the outlook here would be that inflation is going to come down, but it's probably it's been more gradual than we, most of us were hoping to see and expecting to see this year. Uh, the crest is coming later in the year and we expect to see it come down. Um, last thing I'll say, of course, we had a Bank of Canada meeting just this week. They raised uh, the policy rate 100 basis points, which is the uh, first time they've done that in uh, several uh, decades, a couple of decades. So we, we're really looking at you know, a much more aggressive central bank posture because inflation isn't coming down quickly. Bank of Canada effectively said that by, by suggesting that inflation is going to remain in the uh, mid to high single digits by the end of this year. Uh, so a little lower than it is today. It's been around 8% over the last few months, but likely coming down gradually and then a little bit more rapidly in 2023 and into 2024, where we'll get back to the 2% inflation target. So if we believe the Bank of Canada, we've got some uh, significant work to do to bring inflation down here and the policy rate moving up quickly 
is going to force that to happen. That's great, Stephen. I'll come back to you on uh, on what you expected of the Bank of Canada and the Fed and other central banks uh, throughout the conversation. But I want to uh, turn it over to Leslie to talk a little bit about the equity uh, market. Uh, we've seen uh, reasonably steep declines, I will say. Um, nothing completely catastrophic, but certainly a healthy haircut from where we started the year uh, on equity markets all over the, the geography. Um, much of the commentary that I hear has uh, attributed this to the rise of central bank and overnight interest rates and the increase in discount rates and subsequent um, uh, compression of, uh, of earnings multiples. I'm curious more on the earnings side of things. Um, we've seen earnings hang in relatively well. What's your expectations for the back half of uh, 2022? Well, Matt, you're absolutely right that all of the decline that we've seen in equity markets thus far has really been a valuation or a contraction in multiples. And we really have yet to see a meaningful decline in expectations for earnings, despite a significant shift in the backdrop that will impact earnings. And as Steve mentioned, we've seen overall a decline in financial conditions with higher interest rates and lower year-over-year fiscal support. Um, recession fears are also starting to impact consumer confidence. And in some sectors, we're starting to see announcements of layoffs. And of course, margins are impacted by higher costs for materials and labor. So the earnings season for the second quarter is just kicking off. But I know I personally have been surprised that we haven't seen analysts trying to get ahead of what we think will be a very challenging earnings season uh, mm. for this quarter. This morning, uh, I would say we officially kicked off Q2 earnings season with JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley. And in both cases, earnings were disappointing, um, both uh, missing on expectations and in their commentary, uh, starting to uh, acknowledge the softening that I, I mentioned because of all the factors that are at play for uh, corporations. That's great. Maybe just to, to stick with you uh, for a follow-up on that, um, and, and I, I appreciate the unfair timing of this podcast considering we're just at the beginning of our earnings season, so apologies for that, Leslie. Um, but you, you did reference consumer confidence. Uh, one thing that has been surprising to, to myself, someone who's never experienced meaningful inflation through my career, um, is just the impact of inflation on consumer confidence. I've seen that it's at a 40-year low. That's worse than the great financial crisis, despite the fact that we have a fairly robust uh, employment picture. Um, people are, are uh, getting uh, increases in wages. What, what impact do you expect consumer confidence in and of itself to have uh, in the back half of this year? And it, does it become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy? Well, I think it is It is a self-fulfilling prophecy, but when you think about the commentary from the Bank of Canada, it's actually what they're really targeting. Uh, what they're saying is the Canadian economy is overheated. Right. Demand is too high for where we are at with supply. And so drastic measures need to be taken to impact demand. So it is, unfortunately, uh, what we need to see in order to get demand under control as the first step to impact inflation. You know, a lot of people are focused on the unemployment numbers or the jobs numbers, which both continue to be strong. And yes, that is a bit of a silver lining 
for the economy. As long as people are working, they can continue to spend. But unemployment is a lagging indicator. So, you know, it takes a while to see the impact of tighter financial conditions come through the economy in jobs numbers. Consumer confidence, on the other hand, is much more of a leading indicator. So very important metric uh, that you asked about. That's great. Steve, maybe I'll come back to you to talk a little bit in more detail on uh, central banks and your expectation for, for interest rates. Um, clearly, Bank of Canada coming out uh, and raising the Fed uh, did the 75 basis point hike most recently. Uh, I think it's pricing in between 75 and 100 basis points uh, now for, for its next meeting. Um, what's your expectation on how high rates need to go to actually tame this inflation? Well, I, just touching on what Leslie said, Matt, you know, there, there's, a, there's a number of components to inflation here, and certainly some of it is, is demand-led. So there's, a, there's been a resurgent economy that we've all experienced in the last couple of years, and, and this included, for a period of time, some wage gains starting to accrue to, uh, to households and greater spending power. Um, after having a, you know, a, a rough 2020 at, uh, through the beginning of the pandemic, things really resurged in 2021. So we think about then monetary policy now is trying to counteract some several forces hitting infl- uh, that are pushing up on inflation and actually causing a deterioration for many households in their, in their uh, uh, real spending power. So we think about sure. notwithstanding some really decent wage gains over the last 12 to, to 18 months for some households, inflation has taken all of that away and then some. So. The Bank of Canada is focused on trying to contain that inflation. As Leslie points out, they can do it through pushing back on aggregate demand, which should then reduce the upward price pressure. How much do they have to do then is your question. And I think that the the answer is going to be um, really rooted in what we've seen over the last couple of decades, which is that each and every cycle we've had, the Bank of Canada, the U.S. Fed, other developed market central banks have had to do a little bit less than they thought to contain uh, in inflation trends or overheating of, of, uh, of growth in their economies in some way. And that is because there's a, there's a fairly high level of uh, interest rate uh, risk that the economy experiences when they go into a hiking cycle. So here we are very quickly into a hiking cycle this year from the Fed, the Bank of Canada, ECB starting down that path as well. Uh, I think this is going to lead certainly to a greater policy rate as we go through the rest of this year, as the Bank of Canada signaled this week, they continue to be hawkish. They're also engaging in quantitative tightening, which is another form of monetary policy tightening, reducing the size of the balance sheet. Remember, they bought a lot of bonds during the COVID period. Uh, The Fed has also bought a lot of bonds over several points in the last 10 years coming out of the global financial crisis. Uh, And those balance sheets are going to be reduced. So this is additional pressure financial tightening pressure that will likely lead to a suppression of that aggregate demand fairly quickly. And Leslie mentioned consumer sentiment being a a key component of what drives GDP growth, leading, in other words, through uh, consumption of goods and services. Business sentiment has also been eroding very quickly here through the middle of the year. We're seeing this this in the CEO and CFO surveys that are being done, uh, generally they're done on a monthly basis. Uh, we're seeing this in uh, in confidence around lending is starting to erode a little bit, right. uh, and I think we're going to see this in 
uh, a little bit of uh, greater reserves in the financial system for uh, bad debt experience starting to grow over, over Q3 and Q4. So all in all, this, you know, this set of conditions means probably that as things are tightening rapidly, the Fed and the bank account will have to do a little bit less. So currently, the market is pricing in about 200 basis points of additional rate hikes by, by the Bank of Canada and the U.S. Fed before the end of this year, so over the next few meetings. And in fact, if we look at sort of what the market is now anticipating as the peak Fed funds rate, we're now expecting to see that roughly around the end of the year. So that's been moved up. Uh, if we go back just a month and a half to two months ago, that peak Fed funds rate was a little bit higher and it was kind of in Q2 of 2023. So this is, I think, what the market's now grappling with is how much, how quickly, what's already been done, 200 more basis points to go being priced in already, and rapid financial and, 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 uh, and market tightening, liquidity tightening. Uh, this, is, this is something that's now being grappled with in the way that we're moving forward, the terminal rate for Fed funds at the end of the year. That's great, Steve. Uh, thanks for the, the commentary there. Leslie, to turn it back to you, uh, you came into the year uh, with a fairly strong recommendation on Canada uh, in domestic equities. Uh, certainly, uh, it's been the right call. Uh, we've seen declines in, in the Canadian market be far less than they have been in the rest of the world, largely due to our commodity exposure. Um, so I'm, I'm curious about your position currently on Canada. Are you still bullish on Canada for the back half of the year? Uh, and, and what's your overall expectation? Well, I think it's important to go back to the reasons, first of all, why we had an overweight recommendation uh, coming into 2022 on Canada. And it starts with uh, what you mentioned in your question, uh, the makeup of, of our market and uh, commodities. Um, so, of course, in Canada, we have more cyclical exposure with commodity exposure in both energy and materials. Uh we also have more financials exposure, also considered cyclical sectors, and less exposure to higher growth, high-valued uh, technology and consumer discretionary sectors. So we felt that, um, and this was even before uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, right. that the setup over the last 10 years where there had really been a lack of capital spending in uh, the resource sector would set things up nicely for a fundamental rebound in commodity prices. And that is exactly what played out. In fact, um, people may not know this, but oil prices were already up year over year on an average basis, almost 30% even before February 24th when Russia invaded Ukraine. Right. So we were, you know, fundamentally, uh, we felt that things were set up for higher commodity prices and also uh, knowing that inflation uh, would be a factor, so we certainly did not anticipate it to the extent that it's played out, but we felt that that would uh, provide a tailwind for interest rates and that that would be good for financials, particularly Canadian banks, um, in, in a rising interest rate environment. So let's fast forward now. We're in, in the middle of the year. All of that has played out. But as I mentioned, I think we didn't anticipate um, the extent to which inflation would become a problem, and then obviously the reaction in turn by central bankers to tame inflation, which has right. now created a very different uh, set of facts, um, namely higher inflation, a very aggressive central bank um, positioning, and basically orchestrating a slowdown. 
And so that really changes the outlook for commodities. It also has caused interest rates to move at a much quicker pace than we anticipated, which changes the outlook for financials. But having said all of that, uh, we still think that Canada represents the uh, most attractive relative market when compared with other developed world markets and um, emerging markets for a couple of reasons. And, and really, that's anchored in fundamentals. So despite the fact that energy prices and most commodities actually have sold off, um, in most cases, energy in particular, they're still higher than last year. And sure. we still have very significant and strong cash flows and earnings coming from our companies, which are supporting uh, the valuations of stocks. And when I say supporting, the, the S&P TSX and aggregate is trading at 11 times this year's earnings. So wow. yes, is there potential for earnings to be lower from here? Yes, but 11 times gives you a very significant cushion. And the dividend yield, which was another part of our thesis, is um, I think it was about two and a half percent at the end of last year when we were first becoming more positive on Canada is now over three percent. I think it's about three point two percent today. So you have um, a fairly stable market uh, with strong earnings momentum, a nice dividend yield. And as I said, um, in the sectors that are actually showing pretty strong earnings, which in in the case of um, markets like the S&P 500, where you have a lot of high growth companies, they're the ones experiencing the greatest headwinds right now. Perfect. Um, during the response, uh, you, you referenced uh, emerging markets and, and, the, and Canada being the best relative uh, trade might be the cleanest, dirty shirt, another way to look at it. But um, uh, I'd like to just focus on emerging markets. If I had to paint a picture for a bad environment for emerging markets, I might pick high commodity prices, high food prices, uh, particularly for those uh, emerging markets that don't um, uh, export energy. Uh, and, and you throw into that a, a stronger U.S. dollar uh, over the year. Uh, what's your view on emerging markets? Has has most of the pain been felt there? Uh, which, what's the overall outlook on, on the equity side? Well, I, I think you, you hit on the key points. Uh, those are very significant headwinds, energy insecurity, high food prices, uh, very strong U.S. dollar, which appears to be relentlessly rising. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, significant headwinds. I think it's hard to get excited about emerging markets. The only thing I would caution with on emerging markets is um, we, we can't always group all emerging markets together in, in, in one bucket. And so I think it's important to look at China uh, independently. Um, China has some significant um, unique attributes related to uh, its unique um, focus on their zero COVID policy. We've lived through pretty significant shutdowns in um, China in, in major metropolitan centers such as Shanghai and Beijing, which right. have impacted the global supply chain, but also the domestic economy. Um, they are in a much, uh, I, I would say policymakers in China are focused much more on easy monetary and fiscal policy, which is in contrast to the rest of the world. And so at least that's a market where they have a tailwind in the face of many headwinds that we don't see here in North America. So China could be a bit of an anomaly in emerging markets. They have also had the ability to uh, buy uh, cheaper energy uh, right. from Russia. So, the, you know, again, uh, a bit of a unique situation in the emerging markets arena.
Perfect. Just to follow up on China, uh, they've restated that they uh, are going to hit their target of 5.5 GDP growth. I think the market is intensely skeptical that they're able to do that. But what is your your specific expectation to China? Do you think that is a a reasonable place for capital uh, for the back half of the year? I think that China, um, you know, very unpredictable, um, but given, as I said, um, the fact that you've got this commitment to growth, um, this commitment to supporting the economy through fiscal and monetary means, which we don't see in the rest of the world, I think China could be uh, a relative outperformer, but it's sort of what you said uh, you know, about Canada, where when, when everything's not behaving well, um, what, what does that actually mean? Does that mean it goes down less than, than everything right. else? Um, I, but I, I think it's possible uh, but admittedly, I don't have a lot of, I don't have high conviction in, in that call to say it's probable. And, and mostly that rests on, on the fact that, you know, what you said, that I think we're all pretty skeptical about reaching five and a half percent growth uh, when, you know, we are globally going through another COVID surge here. And it's right. likely that that will also um, impact China. And we could see another major COVID policy move here. So I'm always a little bit on the edge of my seat when it comes to uh, the outlook for China and making a prediction because of the, the steadfast commitment to zero COVID. Great. Thanks for that, Leslie. Um, Steve, maybe I'll turn back to you for just an overriding uh, question for um, a lot of the topics that we've been talking about. Uh, so central banks clearly um, uh, tightening rates uh, and uh, in order to fight inflation. I guess my basic question is, do you think that they'll be successful in actually being able to tame inflation? I mean, certainly expectations of inflation have uh, been continuing to, to go up. The market has missed uh, where they think the peak has been several times. Um, and uh, the fundamental dynamics of supply challenges in China and the Russian-Ukraine war, plus just the massive amount of stimulus during COVID, is it, is it, are they going to be able to, to rein this in? So, Matt, the answer is generally yes. Um, the, the, the issues that we've talked about here are there's some things that the Bank of Canada and other central bank policymakers can affect, and that is through the demand side. But there's some things they can't affect, such as the supply of commodities or global event risk, uh, such as we're seeing in Ukraine. So we we have we have to we have to temper our enthusiasm for you know the the, the idea that they're they're getting ahead of the inflation curve here with these rapid rate hikes. One of the things, though, that we can I think um, expect here is that global growth will slow from these policy actions by the central banks, and this will. Uh, push back against aggregate demand globally, it will also cause greater volatility in some areas of the market. I think what we're going to see in the next 6 to 12 months is some uh, increased pressure on the credit side. Uh, So where we've had many companies and households able to borrow at very low rates for a few years, that financial tightening that we've talked about is going to play out. And we're starting to see that now. When you look at uh, consumer lending baskets, the cost of, of obtaining credit and things like car loans, for example, has increased significantly. Uh, For many governments who borrowed significantly, including just in the post-pandemic period, uh, global debt went up by about 50 trillion during that period. So that's one of the most rapid increases in a short period of time that we've seen in decades. So the cost of servicing that debt now is beginning to rise. 
The good news for us in the very near term is that there's not a lot of refinancing uh, in front of the market today. So as <clears throat> these yields and, and rates are rising from the policy rate actions of central banks, there isn't an immediate spillover into default risks. Now there could be defaults. Defaults are likely to rise a little bit in credit. And I think that when we think about how this impacts economies, typically this means we're, you know, we're slowing down, global growth will slow, this will push down an aggregate demand and some of the price pressures will alleviate. So this has started to play out in some areas of the goods market where inventories have been rising. Right. Services, we've seen uh, significant price increases this year. We're likely to see some of that level off as this financial tightening really takes hold. So the answer to your question is, you know, the recession odds have gone up for sure. Um, and ultimately, usually when we're getting a recession, we're going to have that aggregate demand slowdown that we need to to contain prices. That's great. And maybe I'll hit that question um, more directly, which is uh, all about the recession. So what is the likelihood, and maybe we can get both of you, your comments on it, we'll start with Steve, uh, that we will see a recession in the next 12 months? Uh, and what indicators are you closely paying attention to, to, to see if we're in fact going down that path? Well, I think the odds have gone up to at least 50-50 that we'll see a recession in the next uh, 12 months. In fact, they may be a little bit higher than 50% now. Um, and this is, uh, when we're talking about a recession, we have to, of course, think about individual economies here. So we'll, we'll focus on the U.S. where we've seen growth slowing significantly. Um, Canada, thanks to our commodity basket, may have a little bit, uh, you know, a little bit more room there. But, but in general, we're in the same trend. So I think that that uh, those are those are the, the the places to focus here over the next six months. We're thinking about what is happening in the real economy with uh, credit creation. What is happening with the cost of obtaining credit? That financial tightening. How impactful is that on households and businesses? I think that's contributing immediately and currently to a slowing profile of growth. So the things that I'm looking at, though, to continue to evaluate the effect would be uh, things that we're seeing, for example, in the consumer lending area. Are we seeing rising delinquencies, rising defaults in those areas over the next six months? Uh, those are certainly going to be, I think, very influential around uh, behavior of households. What they've been used to for the past few years is not what they're going to experience over the next six to 12 months. So that's one key area of focus for me. Excellent. Uh, Leslie, you have the inenviable task of following uh, Steve, who's taken all the easy pick uh, fruit for, for the recession talk. Uh, but I'd love to, to hear uh, your thoughts if they differ and what you'll be looking for as well. No, my, my thoughts are, are consistent with Steve. I think that um, the central bankers are, you know, they're, they're orchestrating a bit of a shock to the consumer because they, and, and it's been said before today, um, are really going at the one side of the equation that they can, which is demand. And the objective is to change behaviors. And this will work. I think we can be confident, you know, based on what we've seen in history, that higher interest rates, um, tightening financial conditions will cause an impact on the consumer, on businesses, and that will lead to a recession, most likely. Um, but remember, you know, what happens after that, which is uh, what people are looking to 2023 for, which is that when they see the evidence of impact, 
they will, their work will be done, so to speak. And then you will start to see uh, cutting rates as the next phase of the business cycle and economic growth will resume. The second part of your question was about, you know, what are we looking at? And obviously on the macro side, we're the, 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 um, the indicators that we're paying close attention to are the same things that central bankers are, notably, most notably CPI and the components of CPI, um, unemployment or jobs data. Um, we talked about consumer sentiment and spending, you know, so all of these things on, on the macro front. Um, uh, when I look at on, on the equity side, because um, I think the follow on to your question is, and, and what, what does that mean for equities? Sure. And um, <laughs> so I'm putting words in your mouth, but, but I, I think the reality is I, I still go back to the fundamentals, uh, sentiment, earnings, and, um, you know, I think about the earnings side. We talked about Q2 being the start of uh, revisions downwards for earnings and earnings expectations. Uh, sentiment is probably uh, not that um, not negative enough yet to say that a bottom is in an equities, and because central bankers are still getting incrementally more aggressive in their policy, and and I think you're going to see that from the Fed as well, like you did from the Bank of Canada, it's looking more and more likely. Um, I think that there's there's still more of a washout here here to come, and people haven't really thrown in in the towel just yet on on equities. So I think there's a few indicators that need need to play out before we can be confident that um, pricing in the slowdown that's ahead of us is fully reflected in equities. Steve, Leslie, thank you very much for spending the time with me. This was excellent. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Matt. Always a pleasure, Matt. Thank you. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and Mackenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.